Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Praise Jesus. Praise the name of God. All right, I want to specially I want to specially welcome you to Bible study this evening. Praise God. I want you to get your Bibles out, your writing materials. Um I want you to I want you to be ready. Tonight is quite different from all the other Bible studies we've had. And uh yeah, you just need to be very very attentive, very very attentive. And we're going to have an amazing time. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right, all right, all right. Um uh, So let's open our Bibles to the book of Colossians, Colossians. That's where we're uh, going to. Throughout this month, we'll be studying the book of Colossians. And I honestly feel, to be honest with you, I, I had a teaching in mind for this month that I wanted to take us through. Um, so many things I have to teach, so many things. But I think it's good practice that at least once in a year, we, we slow down a bit and we actually cover a book of the Bible so that uh, I feel it's going to achieve uh, different purposes, one of which is to give it the discipline to know how to sit with a portion of scripture and read it and study it and examine it, right? I think it's going to be very good discipline for you. And more so, this is a very special book because in itself, it's so wholesome it tells us a lot about our place in Christ and the person of this Jesus that we love and serve. All right. Um, uh, last, I remember last year we studied Philippians in uh, something about Philippi. I forgot the title exactly, um, but it was about Philippians. We covered the entire book and it was exciting, but it was also lengthy because there's so much to talk about. And I'm going to try my best to be as fast as I can. Um, I'll also try my best not to rush too much. If we can't finish chapter one today, that's okay. Um, it's not really a failure, but I'm going to do my best to make sure we, we keep to that. Okay. So join me at, uh, Colossians chapter one. If you don't have your Bibles, I, this is not the kind of teaching that you'll be waiting on the chat section, uh, for it to be posted, right? This is the kind of teaching where you're actively reading with me. Um, I want you to just be like feel like you're here with me, okay? That's how it should be. Praise the Lord. Alright. So the teaching, uh, the, first of all, the book of Colossians has four chapters, okay? It has four chapters and each of these chapters have a particular theme. Remember, um, originally the writers did not write this as Chapter this, verse this. Chapters only came um, in the early, was it 16th century um, or earlier than that, when it was put in place for easy navigation. 
at the end of the day, God is not going to call you, you know, on the last day, um, on the judgment day. God's not going to say, let me, how many scriptures have you memorized? Oh yeah, let me hear. John what? John 3, only John 3, 16? Yeah, which other one? Okay. Ephesians 2, okay. Okay. It's not by knowing Ephesians 2, 8. What's more important is knowing what Ephesians 2, 8 says. What's more important is knowing what uh, Philippians 4, 6 says. It's not just knowing where those places are. It's good because they help you locate them. But more importantly, um, it's about understanding. So these chapters and verses were put in place for easy navigation. All right. Imagine if we have to call um, scriptures by their pages. It's not going to work because a lot of Bibles have different sizes. And so they will have different pages. You know, so this is the best, most universal way to navigate the scriptures. So, um, Colossians chapter 1 is where we're starting. And Colossians is such a very beautiful scripture. I want us to um, carefully, carefully, uh, I want us to carefully go through it. Before we begin, there's something I want us to apply. And this is something that I have, if you followed us long enough, I have taught this severally. When it comes to uh, biblical interpretation, when it comes to uh, interpreting the scriptures the right way, right? Um, it's called the four A's, right? We're going to roll out, roll out the four A's of biblical interpretation. Don't worry, I'm going to tell you what those are. Uh, I feel like anytime you study scriptures, you need to roll these questions out. There are four A's, right? That's the best way I can represent them for you to understand. Um but should I give you, let me see, who remembers what the four A's? Okay, some of you are already typing it in. That's fantastic. So I'll just go right to it. Uh, when it comes to the four A's, uh, we have um, the first A you need to consider is the author, right? The author and the finisher. <laughs> I'm kidding. By author, I don't mean the I don't mean King Arthur. I'm talking about like someone who writes, right? You need to know who wrote this book of the Bible. It's super important because it will inform us um, as to the, in, it can help us understand why the book was written in the first place. So you need to know the author. You need to, mm-hmm, my people, my people know these things. Very good. Um, so yes, there is author who wrote the book. There is audience, right? Who did the person write to? We had, we have about 40 different authors, um, that wrote the scriptures over, uh, a period of, of close to a millennium, more than a millennium, right? Writing these different books. And you need to know why, um, who they were writing these books to, right? So that's the second one, audience. Um, the third one is the aim. Why was this portion of scripture or why was this book of scripture, why was it written? Why? That would help you understand a lot of things. Just yesterday, I was talking to someone who was asking me um, a question about Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, for the thoughts I have towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, uh, thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you an expected end, right? To give you hope and a future. Um, and she was concerned that maybe she had always misinterpreted that scripture. And most likely a lot of people have because they never really considered the author who was right. Of course, they will say it's Jeremiah. 
who was he writing to? They never really considered that. Why was he writing it? You know, and um, that brings me to the last A, which is, um, it's two-sided, right? The last A is two-sided, and a lot of people seem to forget. Yes, Chiamaka, that is exactly right. I think you're the only one, only one that pointed it out. Um, yes, the last point is application, but um, because sometimes certain scriptures cannot be directly applied, all you need to do is acknowledge them, Okay. And I'll give you an example. Imagine a scripture that says, and Jacob begat so, so, so. And this person begat, <laughs> like, <laughs> how do you apply that in your life? That It means you'll be fruitful and you'll multiply. Well, if that's the case, that's not the scripture for that. Do you understand? Um, so sometimes you don't need to um, necessarily apply some of those things. You just need to acknowledge them, know them, because they'll be useful for something else. Okay? So, uh now, let's ask the questions. Let's read out these questions. To so the Colossians, um, right, who wrote this book, right? Um, who wrote the book of Colossians? It is Paul the Apostle, all right? Paul the Apostle wrote this book. Obviously, he wrote it to the Colossians, right? And um, this was a very, very peculiar period of time. Uh, because he wrote this when he was imprisoned in Rome, right? This was a special time when he was imprisoned in Rome. And um, he couldn't, I mean, this was one of the uh, times when he was preaching, preaching, was arrested because of his radicality. Um, so if you look at verse 1, I think we should start right now so officially we are opening our bibles if you're not there already we'll start at verse one and i'll read from the king james version so that it's a bit uh general for everyone but from time to time i will switch between versions just to make things clearer for everybody okay are you ready all right so let me just give you a brief um introduction like i said paul wrote it to the Col colossians um and if you see verse one he says Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Why did he start that the, that way, right? First of all, he's trying to explain to them that, okay, this is Paul. I'm the one writing, right? An apostle of Jesus Christ. So he's clearly telling them that, look, I am an apostle, um, which, which would indicate that the people he's writing to um, sort of in a way are aware of him they know about him but he's trying to remind them of why his letter carries weight he is an apostle of jesus christ by the will of god and timothy our brother why is timothy involved in this letter um i'll give you a clue right we can just uh quickly switch over to romans 16 if we can quickly go there Romans chapter 16. Are you there? I really wish I could hear your voices. Romans chapter 16 from verse 22. From verse 22. Alright, can you guys see it? Romans 16 verse 22. It says, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. Now, anybody reading this will be like, wait, 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 no, wait, what? <laughs> Tertius? Who is that? 
it could mean it could be different there could be a lot of options here right maybe te- um, paul's surname we never really knew saul's surname right paul's surname so maybe that's his surname tertius because he started writing the book of romans with his name paul but here we see tertius uh uh-uh. who wrote this who is this imposter who is this guy writing the book of romans what no you know and a lot of people might just see them like i don't I don't think a lot of people have seen this actually but some people might say i'm like wait what i thought it was paul um but in actuality uh paul couldn't write this letter so um what he could do was he could dictate to a guy called tertius who was also a co-laborer in the ministry and tertius would, would pen all the things paul would say down kind of like a transcriber okay so as Paul was dictating, Tertius was writing. So um, Tertius wanted to just, you know, put his cameo there. Like, like Paul, let them just know I was there. Like, you know, let me just put myself there. You know, and I, Tertius, who wrote this to you? This, 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 bow. You know, uh, so that's what happened. So in this situation too, because Paul was imprisoned, um, he had help uh, from Timothy who helped him write this letter. Okay. So Timothy probably was the one helping him transcribe in this case while he was still locked up in the prison. So he he's also greeting and saying, but like this letter was also coming because Timothy is helping out with this. Okay, I hope that makes sense. That's verse one. Um, so that's what I wanted to say. Then uh, before I go further, let me just give you uh, a brief overview of what this chapter is divided into uh, so the first part is divided into uh, the first chapter is divided into um for the first it starts with a salutation it starts with a salutation but he's greeting everybody um so in the first two verses you can see the author and the audience right paul is the author and he's talking to who the saints and the faithful brethren in christ which are at Colossae. So it starts with a salutation, he's greeting everybody, introducing himself. Then we will see a prayer that Paul would pray. Then the next part of this chapter talks about Christ being the source of all creation. The next part talks about Christ being the source of the new creation, not just all creation, but now the new creation. And then Paul kind of talks about his labors towards the end, uh, some of the things he had done and suffered. Uh, for the sake of everyone, you know, and he just talks about the, the wisdom of God uh, as he c- concludes chapter one. So it's quite simple. I want us to just navigate it seamlessly and just have fun as we study and also uh, be sensitive to know where the Lord is hitting. Because one of the primary ways the Lord speaks is through scriptures, through scriptures. Um, it's very, very, a very powerful thing. Um, so he's writing to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ in uh, which are at Colossae. So, um, one thing you need to realize is when you are reading an epistle like this, there are two things you need to consider. First of all, it says the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. Question, he's writing to an audience of saints and faithful brethren in Christ. Are you a saint and a faithful brother or sister in Christ? That's a question for you. And I, I hope your answer is yes because it should be. If not, then please send me a message. You are a saint in Christ, okay? By 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 the 
providence of God in Christ Jesus. You are a saint. You are not a sinner. So Paul literally is writing to you. But the second part of it is there's a specific location. There are people in Colossae, right? They are literally in Colossae. Um, So the question is, these people here in Colossae, uh, are are you also a Colossian? You're not. So the reason why I'm saying this is, it's two-sided. You are a saint. So this epistle applies to you, but only to the extent where traditions and cultural um, circumstances uh, kind of take you out of it. So what you need, to, what I mean is when you are reading a scripture to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, to the Colossians, to the Corinthians, you need to realize that there is a traditional or cultural background there. So some many things, while many things will apply to you because you are a saint, some things might not exactly be the case because you're in a different environment, a different culture, a different generation. Do you understand? Um, I'll give you some examples. If we're reading Corinthians, I would have given you some clear examples uh, similar to the head coverings that they did um, and some of the specific things they were um, and the cultures they upheld in, in the Corinthian church. So... Um, but vastly, this entire chapter applies to you. So think of it as him talking to you as well. Okay. So Colossae was a major city, uh, it was located in a place called Phrygia in Asia Minor. Um, and today, if you're going to talk about Colossae to be in current day Turkey, yes, that country, everybody wants to visit because it just sounds so delicious. That's where it is. Oh, that's where it was. It's not, uh, it's an ancient city. It's no longer, uh, mentioned as a city in Turkey. Um, it was a Roman territory as well. Um, the Romans had colonized that region. Uh, it was about 120, if I'm not mistaken, 100 to 120 miles east of Ephesus. So it was close to Ephesus, uh, where Paul also wrote to the Ephesians, right? Um, and they had a lot of Jewish folks in, the church at Colossae, right? So at this point, Paul was imprisoned in Rome. Um, you could clearly see that in, I believe, chapter 4, verse 18, um, where he says, um, the salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds, right? He talks about his bonds in chapter 4, verse 18. So he's just saying, oh, look, I've been, I'm imprisoned. And historically, he was also awaiting trial before Caesar. Now, I'm just giving you this background so that you understand that when you're reading books like this, you're not just casually opening your Bible and just saying, ah, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, ah, I'm done, glory, I can tell Pastor Kenneth I finished. <laughs> That's not it. You need to give due diligence when studying the scriptures. You need to give due, due diligence to it. You need to understand it. You need to put yourself in this situation so that you are not just hearing or reading the words, but they are, they are really hitting home with you, okay? Um, so... There is a guy that you're going to uh, see eventually. Um, you actually see him in verse 7. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about him so that it's going to make sense when we read from verse 3, okay? Um, so there's a name, there's a guy called Epaphras, right? Um, he actually, uh, Paul says in verse 7 that you also, um, as you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servants, who is for you, a faithful minister of Christ. So Epaphras was actually a partner in ministry with Paul, right? And he's the one that established this church in Colossae, right? He established this church, um, 
chapter 4 verse 12 to 13 also talks about it. Uh, 4 verse 12 is where I always talk about how he prayed and labored for them that they stand complete and perfect in all the will of God, right? It's Epaphras. So he was the one that actually established this church, not Paul. And Paul literally was, you know, they were together in Ephesus. These guys worked together in Ephesus, um, which is 120 miles away from, from Ephesus. It's kind of like um, maybe Lagos State and Ocean State. I'm giving an example, okay? So that kind of distance. They're not too far away. Uh, they worked together. So Paul was arrested. So he told Epaphras, go to your hometown, which is where... Um, which he comes from Colossae, right? He's a Colossian actually by descent. That's his hometown. So Paul sent him there to start the work of ministry in that region. All right. So he told him, spread the word of God there and to the nearby cities, Laodicea um, and Hierapolis. That's another, um, those are other states um, that surround that place. So he says, spread the word there, do some work. Right. So what you see actually is Epaphras is a product of what we've been talking about. You know, last month we talked about um, growth is followership. Right. Epaphras followed Paul to the letter. They were partners in ministry. And not only that, he applied what was taught on Sunday where we said growth is multiplication. So he had he had been with his ministry gift, Paul. But you see what Paul did. Paul had equipped him. And giving him the capacity to become a ministry gift to the Colossians. So Epaphras was some sort of an apostle. He actually started a church where there was no faith in Christ Jesus there. And trust me, it takes a lot of work to do that. You are literally coming to a set of people with all sorts of belief systems and gods that they serve. Um, Some even had Jewish roots, so they believed only the Torah and the law. He was coming to establish the doctrine of Christ there, that's huge. You know, and Paul entrusted it into his hands and he did that. So, um, but what you actually find out is that later on, um, when you read the historical records, uh, Epaphras was actually arrested. He was arrested. And because this is a Roman territory, I hope you are following this story. Sorry, I hope you are following this. Um, he was in a Roman territory because Colossae is under Roman uh, Roman control. Um, and he was arrested there for this very reason because uh, he provoked a lot of people. So guess what? When you are arrested, you are taken to Rome to be imprisoned and probably to be tried. So when he was arrested, he went to prison and that's where he met Paul. And he gave Paul the feedback that you are now seeing here um, in like about everything that's happened in Colossae, right? So Paul literally wrote a letter through Timothy, um, who was not imprisoned, to share the word with these people. Do you understand? So that's what you understand. Just that background will help you get um, some understanding of this book, Colossians. And if you if you've read the book of Ephesians before, you see a lot of similarities between the two books. The same way Paul groomed the people in Ephesus was similar to the way he did with the Colossians here. But as much as this is a heartfelt letter to them, this is authoritative, inspired by the Spirit of God, to instruct the people of God in all the will and counsel of God, okay? So don't just think this is one letter that he just wrote off the top of his head. It was deeply inspired by the Spirit. A lot of revelation here that will be for our benefits. Praise God. Hallelujah. So chapter uh, verse 3, 
Let's go to verse 3. It says, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. That is similar to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. So, he's saying uh, that he prays for them always. Um, and notice something. He said, since we heard of your faith... Um, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, that very act uh, in verse 4 inspired Paul to pray always for them. So not only when um, there's problem or there's chaos that you start to pray, he heard good reports that, look, you guys have been faithful in Jesus Christ and you've shown so much love. And that is the desire of anyone who you know, champions the work of ministry to hear that the people there are growing in faith and growing in love. He didn't say how, how many, how many, uh, how many demons have you people cast out? How many, as much as those are important, th- those were not important criteria to him. He wanted to know if they had grown in faith, if they had grown in love. That mattered more to Paul and he prayed always for them. Um, verse five, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, Whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So he said, um, we've heard about the faith you had. Uh, in fact, this is where you see hope, faith, and love. You know, Paul talked about it in First Corinthians, I think, 13, where he says, um, faith, hope, love, the greatest of this is love. And he's saying it again, that we heard of your faith, we heard of the love which you have for all saints, and the hope which is laid up for you in heaven whereof you heard of in the in the word of the truth of the gospel that means in the message of the gospel that was presented by epaphras to them um they had shown hope for all that is reserved for them in heaven which was in the gospel's message that they have eternal life in christ jesus which we have in him as well praise the name of jesus hallelujah verse six which is come unto you as it is in all the world he's talking about the gospel the gospel has come to you as it is in all the world and it's bringing forth fruit. The gospel was designed to bring forth fruit wherever it is heard and believed upon. So Paul is saying, look, just as you, you guys have experienced this, you need to realize that you're not the only ones. A lot of people outside here, you're not alone. You have many brothers out there who, like you, heard the word of the gospel and have believed and they are growing, they are fruitful, Right? Since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. So another thing he's saying is this. Um, the gospel, gospel's message is a message that reveals the grace of God. Any message of the gospel you hear that does not inspire hope of, of all that God has reserved for you in heaven and does not present the grace of God, it is not the gospel. All right? Praise the name of Jesus. So he goes to verse 7 where we read, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a what? A faithful minister of Christ. So Paul had entrusted the work of ministry to these people um, into the hands of Epaphras. It says, verse 8, who also declared unto us your love in the spirit. So it was Epaphras that gave him that report that he mentioned in verse 3, where he said, uh, sorry, in verse 4. Where he said he had heard of their love and, you know, their faith. It was a Epaphras' report, right? 
Verse 9, now I need you to pay very close attention as we read from verse 9 to verse 11 uh, and verse 12. Very, 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 very powerful. Pay attention. So it says, for this cause we also, <laughs> like since Epaphras reported to us about your love, he said, for this reason, since the day we heard it, we did not cease to pray for you. I tell you, when there is fruit being um, evident in a place where the gospel has been planted, whether it is here in Vivify Ministry, whether it is in another area, um, another ministry, another place that the gospel has spread, when there is good report, it inspires the person who, uh, one way or the other, was responsible for the work to even pray more, to see a bigger harvest, to see that the people there continue steadfastly in their faith. So, they said, for this cause also, uh, we uh, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you. So Paul is saying, like, since we heard this, we did not stop praying. Do you know what it means to not stop praying? Like, do you know what it means to not stop praying? I think sometimes we don't really see um, the gravity of what we read when we see the scriptures. Paul literally is saying, there is no time that I don't pray for you guys. Because of this, like since we heard of this, I have not stopped. I am still, even as I'm writing this letter, I'm, my heart prays for you. But the question is, what is he, what is he praying for them? Um, and just so you know, there is a place, um, where prayer is required for the growth of a people. Sometimes you say, oh, it's by the word. Yes, when you teach these people, they will grow to know the Lord. When you, when you tell them the truth, when you, you disciple them, you have discipleship class and all of that. But there is a place that prayer has in spiritual growth. And that's why you can only grow so far if you only study your Bible alone and you're not given to prayer. You only grow so far. There is such a big limitation when you don't have active prayers being made. All right. So Paul says, I pray for you always. What is his prayer? He said, and to desire that you might be filled. You might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He says that you might be what? Filled with the knowledge of his will. The, the word filled, um, if you're going to check the Greek rendition, it is pleru. That's the word. Pleru. P-L-E-R-O-O. And what that means is to be made complete, to be filled to the brim, to be uh, immersed, if I may use that word immersed you know to be completely just saturated that's the word all right so it says that you may be made complete with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding now this is very uh simple the word understanding here is from the greek sunesis what it means is a flow of knowledge it literally means where all knowledge is like you have different rivers right Flowing from one direction to another direction to another direction, and they all come uh, come at a, they meet at a confluence. At that point, that's the idea of understanding. That's the picture it's bringing. Where all the knowledge now comes to a point of flow, like it now makes sense. All the things you've known now begin to make sense. You begin to understand, you know, all the things that have to do uh, with His will. So. If I'm going to put it in simple, simple English, what Paul is praying for them is that they will always know what the Lord wants from, for them at all times 
with full understanding of what he wants. So it's not just them knowing what he wants, but they will understand why he wants what he wants them to do. I hope that's not confusing. So knowledge of his will simply means what God wills per time, what he wants for us, what he desires for us. Do you know how important it is that we know the will of God in every situation? It's very important because that's the way we know where God's heart is concerning a situation. So before we take any action, any decision, it's important that we know what does God think about this? What is God's will about this? Now, there's some things that are clearly seen in scriptures. We know the will of God is to have all men repent, you know, and come to the Lord in repentance to, to believe in him and be saved. That's God's ultimate will. But there are certain situations that are not explicitly written in scripture that you need to know God's opinion, God's will on. For example, you want to get a job. You want to marry someone. You want to take this decision. You want to school abroad. You would want to know where is the Lord's, uh, what is the Lord's will concerning this matter? Um, what does the Lord want me to do? I mean, God is definitely for you to be hardworking to get a job, but sometimes there are some, uh, very specific leadings you need to have in this regard. So he's praying this for them that they will know the will of God and, and in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. To what end? Why is he praying this? He says, verse 10. That I hope you are still with me. Verse 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So if we're going to put this here, what is what are the benefits of having spiritual understanding, you know, into the will of God? What are the benefits? Number one, you'll walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing him. You will work, not work rather, you will walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him. So, you will walk worthy of the Lord and in so doing, you are pleasing the Lord. Number two, you will be fruitful in every good work. You will be fruitful in every good work. And number three, you will keep increasing in the knowledge of God. You will keep increasing in the knowledge of God. So he's praying for them to have this spiritual understanding of God's will so that they would be able to think about it, right? Um, <laughs> let me let me give you an example. You know when you guys, uh, when you were younger, when you were way younger and you probably visited, you know, a house, if maybe a neighbor or a family friend and you, you see five alive on the table, and you just like no one has has said anything about it, but you you just go and you want to open it, and it's not your house. What 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 does your mom do, right? She just there's just that eye she gives. Some of you know what I'm talking about. She just give you that eye. She just look at you. You don't. She doesn't need to say anything. Once she just looks at you that way, you just you just adjust, because in that moment you knew her will. Like you had the knowledge of her will in that situation. You knew what she wanted. Do you understand? And you adjusted. So you were able to walk in a manner that was worthy of her and it pleased her. Do you understand? That's the idea. So in whatever situation, when you know the will of God concerning that thing, um, you would walk in a way that, you, know, you walk in a way that pleases the Lord. As much as yes, we are, uh, there, without faith, nothing, um, pleases the Lord, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. 
there is also when you align yourself to his will that is pleasing to him and it's an act of faith because you trusted his leading on that matter so um ultimately he does that then you become fruitful in every work every good work you become fruitful so you're not just doing labors you're not just doing that you start to see results you start to see evidence for all the things you've done when you have spiritual understanding a lot of people just do a lot of things in the church without understanding why they are doing it okay a lot of people um, join a service unit do this do that but because they don't have an understanding of it they are not fruitful they're just repeating the same thing the same labors but when you have understanding of his will with spiritual understanding and wisdom you would be fruitful you will start to see results and in the at the end of the day the more you understand this, the more you will increase in knowledge because that understanding will drive you to grow more in knowledge. So that's just a, it's just an endless cycle. And when you grow more in knowledge, you walk even higher in a, in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. You will even be more fruitful. And in so doing, you will even increase more in knowledge. So it's just an endless cycle. Do you see that? So look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. Oh, this is, this is so good. He continues and says, apart from you having wisdom and spiritual understanding, I want you to be strengthened. Um, I pray that you be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Ah, oh, this is beautiful. Now, now I know many of you might not have understood this um, as to how it applies to you. And this is similar to Ephesians chapter three. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, there's there's a verse in Ephesians 3 that talks about being strengthened in the inner man, right? Um, this is a similar portion here in Colossians chapter 1 verse 11. He said, I want you to be strengthened with all might. They were, you know, just like Epaphras was arrested. That's why he wasn't even with them. They were also undergoing persecutions. So that was the present situation. They were going through a lot of things. So, um... A lot of hardship. He was saying, I, I pray that you be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience that you'll be more patient and, and long suffering, but you will do so with joyfulness. You will be happy even as you are patient, as you are enduring long. Do you understand? So this also applies like this was a current situation that they needed strength. And it's not just spiritual strength. It's literally like it, it translates into physical strength. Like persecution is, is inspired by spiritual things many times, but it's a physical, um, it's a physical manifestation is what I'm trying to say. When someone is persecuted, they either accuse you or they inflict harm on you physically. So he's praying for a kind of strength to endure those kinds of hardship with joy. Just like Peter and John, you know, in, in the book of Acts, I believe chapter five, they were beaten. They were flogged. They, they were warned. Do not ever preach in the name of Jesus again. Guess their response. They did not hear what. They left the place. The Bible says they left there. They were flogged though. But and the flogging is, is serious. When you are flogged, uh, it's it's always it's, it's a very you know how they flog now. It's very brutal, very terrible. Your your skin never remains the same. They left that place. Bible says they were they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for Jesus, like that's that's unnatural, that's unnatural, that they were unstoppable, that their joy was uncircumstantial. That is exactly what Paul was praying for these people. They are just new in the faith, they are growing, and he's praying for that kind of maturity 
that your joy is not circumstantial. And I'm praying the same for you listening to me right now, that your joy will not be circumstantial, that you will be strengthened with all might, hallelujah, according to his glorious power that, that works in you. You are strengthened right now. Hear the word of the Lord. You are strengthened in your body. You will be able to bear hardness, endure it, and you will do so with so much joy. Hallelujah. You will live this Bible study stronger than ever before. You just, you won't just be able to figure out where is this strength coming for to do more? Where is this grace coming to, to, to do? Where is it coming from? That is your testimony, I pray in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Verse 12. It says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which had made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So he says, even as you are enduring all hardness, you are overflowing with thanksgiving to God. You are giving thanks unto the Father, who made you worthy. That's what it means means to be meet. Who made you qualified? Who made you worthy to be a partaker in what? The inheritance of the saints in light. So he tells you, there is something called the inheritance of the saints, right? Um, by the grace of God, you will come to realize this, that we have received a portion of the inheritance already. You have received a portion of that inheritance. Um, we have received forgiveness. We have received uh, acceptance. We have received the spiritual blessings in Christ. But there is also a part that we look forward to, the fullness and the completion of our salvation. So, it's just saying that look in everything you are you are not just growing in spiritual wisdom you're not just walking in all the will of god unto all pleasing you're not just being strengthened with all might but you also be overflowing with thanksgiving that's his prayer that's my prayer for you too that in all things you will give thanks to god the father who gave you that privilege if anything you thank god for that privilege to be a saint do you know what it means to be called a saint it's a powerful term that a lot of people have just washed down. You are a saint. You are not a sinner. You are not a stranger. You are a saint. Hallelujah. That's you. So he says, verse 13, who has, still talking about the Father, who has delivered us from the power of darkness. That's why in the previous verse it says, we've been made to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So you are in a place called light. You are, there is no darkness there. There is no, um, there's no power of darkness. You are in light. It says you have been delivered from the power of darkness. Just say that to yourself. I have been delivered from the power of darkness. Hallelujah. And what happened? He has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The word translated doesn't mean that we were in Chinese before and then he converted us. <laughs> or we were in Yoruba and he converted us to, you know, no, no, that's not what. Translated just means uh, it's a change in location, right? You were in darkness. The Bible says we were dead in our sins and transgressions. We were in darkness. In fact, we couldn't see the light. But because of his mercy and his grace, he delivered us from darkness and now br- brought us where? Into the kingdom of his dear son. Where, where Jesus, um, when John the Baptist, pardon me, said the kingdom of God is at hand. He was saying the kingdom of God is here. Like because Jesus is here, the kingdom has come. Right. The, Jesus was the fulfillment of that prophecy. So when Jesus came and we believed in his sacrifice, 
we became a part of that kingdom. Hallelujah. The kingdom of God is not just a, a physical location, right? Or a spirit, it's not just a place up there in the sky where God and the angels are. The kingdom of God is where we are. Hallelujah. We stand in the kingdom of God. The Bible says we are citizens of heaven. Philippians chapter 3 from verse 20 to 21. We are citizens of heaven from which we await our Savior. So we are a part of the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. You are there. That's your place. Hallelujah. You are not in darkness. You are in the kingdom of light. You are in the kingdom of, of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. And then it goes further to say, this son or his dear son in whom we have redemption through what his blood even the forgiveness of sins the word even there is is synonymous to the uh to the to the phrase which is right so redemption through his blood um affords us it is the forgiveness of our sins all right um and this verse is exactly what Ephesians 1 7 claims that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Like copy and paste, no jokes. Ephesians 1 7. So he's reiterating it to these people in Colossae that you have redemption. The word redemption means to buy something back that was lost. So we were in the kingdom of darkness, we are under the power of darkness, but there was a price that was paid to deliver us, to buy us back. That's the word redeemed. And that price was his blood. It was through his blood that that happened, you know. And not only were we bought back, all our sins were forgiven. And I wish I had time to talk about, you know, our sins being forgiven, the extent of that forgiveness. But you need to realize that at the cross and through the blood of Jesus, oh, your sins were taken care of. And it doesn't matter how deep in the darkness you were. It doesn't matter how much evil you did. The things that people didn't even know you did. It doesn't matter because to God you have been bought back. You're not on the fence. You're not in between darkness or light. You are in light. Hallelujah. You are in the kingdom of God. You are in the kingdom of his dear son. That's where you belong. And nothing can take that away from you. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, we are getting to the part that talks about... Jesus, who is the source of all creation, right? So we've, we've, we've talked about the salutation where he uh, greeted the people, introduced himself. We've passed the prayers. Now we are in, going into an introduction of Christ. Who is this Jesus that you, you all have learned? And to give you better perspective as to why he's writing this, in, in that time I told you there was a lot of Jewish influence so a lot of people were coming in to say all sorts about this Jesus, that if anything, he was only a prophet. At the end of the day, we need to observe the ceremonial laws, do this, do that. So uh, Paul is trying to introduce this person, Jesus, through whom we have forgiveness of sins. He's trying to introduce him, right? Um, so let's go there. Verse 15. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Who is, talking about Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the imago Deo, the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. So, let me just pause. This verse alone is a mouthful. There's a lot to say here. Who is the image of the invisible God? The, the very question you need to ask, um, there's a... There's an attribute here ascribed to God here. 
in this verse that he is what invisible and is Paul lying no have you seen God at any time like have you seen the father at any time have you maybe maybe you have I, I don't know you probably I don't know if you can just help me describe describe how it looks like in in the chat section I don't mind I'll appreciate it <laughs> Um, but this is so definitive it, it's such a huge statement and implication in one sentence Jesus is the image of the invisible God ah yeah 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 let me let me show you something let's open our Bibles to John chapter 1 from verse 18 let's quickly go there John chapter 1 from verse 18 John 1, 18. Let's quickly go there. I want to show you something. So, I mean, John had introduced um, Jesus as the word. But he goes somewhere. He goes down. Um, it says in verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. Then he says, the only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he hath declared him. Let me see if I can get a simple, uh, a simpler translation. Let me see if I can use the NIV. All right. Ah, this is beautiful. The NIV says, no one sits, no one. And just before this, in verse 17, he had talked about, he said, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You find out that in a way, this um, John chapter 1 was almost a shade to Moses because at some point in Moses' um, life and ministry, um, he had encountered God where, you know, the description is that he could not see God because anyone who will see God will die because of the glory. Um, so he saw the back of God. You know, that's the description. I wish I had more time to explain what that actually meant and what, what went down um, during that period. But this was a contrast between Moses and Jesus. And because Moses brought the law and he, and John is saying, um, that's John the beloved who wrote this book is saying that Jesus brought grace, which is the truth. Grace and truth. The word and is kai, which means, which is. Alright. So Jesus brought grace, which is the truth, not the law. Um, so verse 18, he now says, no one has ever seen God. That includes Moses. Who wrote the law? He has not seen God at any time. But he says, but the only, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. So the idea you have here is, look, let me give you an example, right? Imagine, you know, um, you know, Bishop Oyedebo, right? You know Bishop Oyedipo um, of Covenant University and Living Faith Worldwide. Um, he's the Chancellor of Covenant University. He is the, uh, he's the General Overseer of Living Faith uh, Worldwide. So imagine him. You, you see him as this man who is passionate for God. You know, everything he says is from the altar of heavens. You know, there's just that command. There's just that authority. There's just that fierceness that comes with him. Um, but you know, you you can only know so much about him because you you really don't know him. You really don't have a relationship with him, right? But if you go and you, you just spend some time with his son, 
you just realize that his son can tell you everything about him. Ah, my dad, ah, yesterday he cracked he cracked a joke. He did what? Oh, ah, the other day he even played tennis with us. He plays tennis, and this is actual real facts. You know, Papa plays tennis. Um, so he, he did this, he did that. Imagine you hear he played video games, like he was playing FIFA, <laughs> FIFA 20 with his grandchildren or something like that. That would just blow your mind. But who would you go to to hear such news? Is this someone outside the family or someone who is in the closest relationship? Maybe even his wife. Uh, closest relationship with him. Do you understand? So that's the idea. He's saying no one has seen God but Jesus who comes from the Father. He is in the best position to describe the Father, to make the Father known unto us. Do you understand? That's what he means by... Um, he is the image of the invisible God. Quickly, I'll read John chapter 3, verse 12. You know, when you're doing a proper study, it's good to have a lot of cross-references that just emphasize and corroborate the points you're, hit, you're hitting on, okay? John chapter 3, the most popular chapter in, in the Bible because of the most chap- popular verse that is there. John chapter 3, but we'll read from verse 12. It says this. It says, he was, this is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Wow. Powerful. So Jesus had spoken about, he used earthly concepts to describe the concept of being born again. Like, see, I've used earthly concepts to explain to you these things. You don't even understand what will happen if I start to speak of heavenly things. The summary is, Jesus is deep. Oh, deep, go. Oh, deep. Verse 13. (laughs) He says, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. He's emphasizing it here that, look, no one has gone to heaven. No one has seen and been with the Father except the one who came from there. So Jesus is emphasizing that point. And one more point, uh, Hebrews chapter 1 from verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1 from verse 3. Let's go there quickly. The Bible here says, from I'm still reading from the NIV. It says the sun is the radiance of the glory of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That word or phrase exact representation is what you will say the image is. Do you understand? The image represents the person. So he is the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by by his powerful word. Alright? So um, that just emphasizes that look. The sun is says is the radiance of God's glory. He's the he's the aura that comes from the Father. So simply put, if you want to know anything about the Father, look to the Son. Because the Son perfectly represents the Father. If you want to ever know, and this is very, very, very important, if you want to ever know how God will act or he or ever acted, look to Jesus. So I'll give you an example, and I am I'm emphasizing this point for a reason. You see in the Old Testament, right? You see the narrative in the Old Testament that Paul, Paul, um, I said Paul, sorry, Saul, who had messed up, yeah, disobeyed the Lord's instruction. You know, um, he was just there. And in fact, David, this guy who uh, was just good in everything that he wasn't good at, there was just a moment where he was just so jealous and the Bible said um, an evil spirit from God came to trouble Saul. You know, and you ask, ah, uh-uh, evil spirit from God? 
what does that mean? Like, God gave him an evil spirit? Ah, that's serious. So, does that mean that if I disobey God now, he can just throw an evil spirit and, and lead me into depression? What's going on? You know, but if you want to, like again, even the writers of the Old Testament, believe you me, they had not seen God. Do you understand? Their revelation of God was limited versus how much revelation we have about God, right? They didn't know so much about God. They had snippets, you know, they had shadows, they had types. Sometimes God will provide manna in, in a desert. I mean, that's just powerful. And they'll say, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, you heal someone. You know, when the serpents that beat them, Moses erected a pole with a, a, a brazen snake. And they looked to it and they were healed. Oh, Jehovah Rapha, our healer. So at certain points in time, they had fractions of, of ideas of who this God was. But Jesus is saying, look, none of these people ever saw him. I was the one who came from heaven. I'm in the best position. I have the closest relationship with the Father. So I'm in the best position to re- reveal his nature to you. And what do we see Jesus doing in the new covenant? We see him casting those who are oppressed of devils. You know, he said, God has anointed me to deliver those who are oppressed of the devil. Hallelujah. He's not oppressing people with demons. He's what? Delivering people oppressed of them. Do you understand? And that is the character of God. That's the best way to see the person of God. That is the best lens through which you can see God and his plan and his will and his heart for you. Praise the name of Jesus. So that said, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the perfect and exact representation of the Father. Praise Jesus. That's a verse we're in. In verse 16, he goes on to say, he's the firstborn over all creation. Now, um, that f- uh, phrase, firstborn, um, in the Greek, it's, it's prototokos. Um, and what prototokos kind of means, when you take that into English, it literally means a prototype, right? A prototype. Um, and a prototype is what's, um, use as an example to make the real thing. All right. Um, not that the, the prototype itself is not real, but it's it's a model for every other um, product that will come after it. So, um, in this case, actually, even in Jewish writings, the word "firstborn" of all creation it it, it was a Jewish term, terminology to explain one who had a royal status over all things. That means the, the person is king over all things. But not just um, king, he's also a, a model. It's two-sided, right? I, I think um, Exodus 40 talks about that. Some parts of Genesis use the phrase uh, firstborn. And more that, it just talks about someone who is before all things but has a royal status. Um, and in this case, he is the firstborn of all creation. He is before all things. He is... Um, he is king over all things. That's what this verse is trying to say. Um, verse 16. For in him all things were what? Created. So we see now there is an introduction to Jesus, not just as the image of God. He is the creator of all things. He's not a created being like the Muslims will say. The Muslims say that he was fashioned in the manner of Adam. Right? That just as Adam was made from clay, Isa, which is Jesus was made from clay and that is not true the bible clearly says that here he for in him all things were created things in heaven and on earth let me read from the kjv i just realized i was reading from the niv 
But let me read from the KJV. It says, For by him were all things created, things that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Paul is introducing it this way for you to realize that, see, any power, all the powers that be, <laughs> at the end of the day, they take their, they, they get their existence, their source from Jesus. Nothing that was made was made without him. Now, if you start to look and say, oh, what about, so are you saying that Jesus is the one that brought about demons? Or are you saying Jesus is the one that brought about all these evil things? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that he created all these things, even though at some point after the fall of man, sin corrupted everything. Do you understand? Even the angels, they fell. Some of the angels fell. Um, the devil being part of that number. They fell and were corrupted. But even so, they came from Jesus. Everything, everything that breathes, that is living, came from Jesus. Even the things that are not living, they came from him, right? Um, so that is similar to what John 1 verse 1 to 4 says. And I'll quickly read it. Um, John chapter 1 from verse 1 to 4. And many of you know this by heart because you went to good Sunday schools. Yay. <laughs> it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. This is just, imagine starting your book this way. In the beginning was the word, capital W, and the word was with God. Wow. But then, guess what? Ooh, wait for it. The word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things, verse 3, were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of man. Glory to God. It says that he is the source of all things. There was nothing that was made that was not made without him. I wish I had time to spend on what the word is. But this is not a study of um, of the book of John. But just in case you are questioning, this doesn't mean this is Jesus. Um, verse 14 goes on to say that this word, right was made flesh and he dwelt amongst us and that's what he, that's what Emmanuel means um, God with us it doesn't just mean oh because God is protecting me my name is Emmanuel you know or whatever the case is it's not just that kind of protection it's that God became man he became part of us God was with us he came down in our form that's why Jesus is called Emmanuel that was the incarnation of God in human flesh so um, the word was made flesh and he dwelt amongst us. So that word was talking to Jesus, was actually talking to G about Jesus. And, and Hebrews 1, uh, where we just read before, but in verse 2, says something very similar. It says, you know, that in these last days, God has spoken by us, spoken unto us by his son, whom he had appointed heir of all things. And that word heir of all things is similar to um, firstborn of all creation, right? Um, by whom also he made the world. By Jesus he made the world. Um, so that's similar to what uh, Paul was emphasizing in Colossians. Right? So let's get back to Colossians chapter 1. We are in verse 17 now. Right? And he is before all things. So don't just think that it was when Jesus became a man in human flesh that he just existed. That he just came in time. Even before then, he was. He's co-eternal. He's always existed. 
and he says by him all things consist all things what exist because of him now we have seen that um that has talked about him being uh the creation the source of all creation right now we're starting to see something else he is the source of what the new creation and we see that from verse 18 so he says and he is the head of the body and Paul emphasized that emphasizes it that look the body here I'm talking about is the church. It says who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So he's saying he's the firstborn from the dead. Um, let me zoom in there for a moment before I continue. That is that word firstborn. I I, I explained to you it means prototokos. Uh, a royal prototype, if I put it that way. Um, Prototokos meaning a model of all other products to come. So every product that comes after that prototype will look like the prototype. And it says he is the firstborn from the dead. That means he is the first one um, to come from the dead. And he's kind. And this is referring to um, his resurrection. That even as he has come from the dead, he might have the preeminence over all things so he has the power over sin over death over all powers philippians 2 tells us that he was exalted with a name above all names that at that name of jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth every knee every every knee will bow every every uh, everybody will confess that what jesus is lord do you understand so he might have preeminence by his resurrection but guess what his resurrection was not just for him. He said he, he, he is the head of the body. So the head cannot resurrect without the body. Do you understand? So as the head is resurrecting, the body follows after. That is the picture that Paul is trying to... Paul is so illustrative. If you know his writings, Paul has used food to explain scriptures and deep truths. Paul has used agriculture. Now Paul is using biology and anatomy. <laughs> Just try and say that and anatomy <laughs> and anatomy. He used this to describe the resurrection of Jesus, you know. So Jesus being the firstborn from the dead, we too will follow after in his resurrection. Hallelujah. Glory to God. For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. Praise the name of Jesus. Now, that verse is similar to chapter 2, verse 9. Um, let's just have a sneak peek into the chapter and then we'll come back. We'll come back out. Don't read too much there. Let's go to verse 9 of the next chapter. Colossians chapter 2 from verse 9. It explains it even further. It says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. For in him what? Dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's saying that, look, God in human flesh was Jesus. The fullness of of the Godhead of deity was in Jesus's body. It was it said it pleased God that awfulness would dwell in Him. It pleased the Father. It was not something they were fighting against. Like ah, what if I give Jesus too much? He, would He now be doing anger for me? It, that's not an issue. The Father, Son, and Spirit have perfect unity and fellowship. So the fullness of the invisible God, the the deity, the Godhead. Was, was fully in Jesus. That's why we, we say Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. He is the God man. He is the God man. Hallelujah. Perfect example of deity and humanity in one. That is Jesus Christ. 
And he says we are going to be just like him. We are going to be raised from the dead just like he was raised. Firstborn from the dead. We will also follow after. Praise the name of Jesus. So verse 20. Verse 20 now. Colossians 1 verse 20. Let's continue. It says. Are you with me? It says. And having made peace. So now we're getting to a, a portion of um, reconciliation. Right? Reconciliation. You will see how um, at, through Jesus all things, all creation will be reconciled to him. Then we will see how the new creation will be um, was reconciled to Jesus. So Paul is making an argument that he's trying to bring a contrast between all of creation and the new creation. We talked about how Jesus was the source of all creation. Everything came by him. But Jesus is also the source of the new creation because he is the firstborn from the dead. He is the head of the body, which is the church. Does this make sense? All right. Excuse me. Let's keep going. So verse 20 says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, right? Uh, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So all things at the end of the day, because this world has been fractured, because this world has has gone in disarray because of sin, um, at the end of time, God is going to reconcile all things to himself. And by that, all things are going to be repaired, made new, restored back to God's control. Do you understand? The Bible says this this world uh, is run by the God of this world. That's the devil. But, you know, through Christ's blood and the sacrifice, at the end of, of time, God is going to reconcile all things unto himself, right? So he has made peace through his blood by him to reconcile all things unto himself. That's what God's plan is. Um, whether they're in heaven or things on earth, that means whether they're principalities, powers, whatever the case is, they will all, they will all come under his control, under his lordship. Um, but look at verse 21 now. Not just all creation now is talking about the new creation. And you, yes, you listening to me, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now had he reconciled. Now, I'm going to read that same chapter, um, that same verse, pardon me, in NIV. It says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. So, this is it. It says, at some point, you were alienated. What does it mean to be alienated? You were separated. You were strangers from God. You were enemies. You were not just estranged. You were an enemy of God. Think about that. God saw you in those days as his enemy. But the fact that he could see you as an enemy filled with sin and, 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 and transgression, he was able. Ah, glory to God. Look at the next verse. But now he has reconciled you. Now, um, let me see what the King James says. I'm reading from the NIV. The King James says, And you, that were sometimes in the internet enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. I want to read the NIV version to point out something very careful, uh, carefully. Um, 
I, I know I have explained this um, before here at Vivify um, and recently with a couple of people about the nature of the sacrifice of Jesus. I have explained that Jesus didn't die a spiritual death. He didn't need to die a spiritual death because the implications are grave for you to die a spiritual death. His physical death on the cross was more than enough to take care of the sins of men. Um, because we never see any place that talks about um, by his spirit or by his spiritual death, he made a way for us. You never see that. The, the major things that people use to, uh, to accrue to the spiritual death is where Jesus said, uh, My Lord, my Lord, why hast thou forsaken me? Hello, 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 Master Bakhtani, why have you forsaken me? But they don't, don't they realize that he was talking about um, a prophecy. He was fulfilling the prophecy of David in Psalm 22, um, where he was literally saying, Lord, why have you let me die? It was a rhetorical question. Jesus was not asking, Lord, why? Like, you slide me. Why? Why? I thought you would deliver me. Why? No. He knew the mission from the start. So that was a rhetorical question and also a, prophet, a fulfillment of prophecy um, of Prophet David. It sounds weird to call him Prophet David, but he was actually, many ways, more of a prophet than a king. That's not a shade, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but you see, th- you never see that. And in fact, after that, when Jesus was about to leave, he says, Lord, into your hands I covet my spirit. So you don't see a spiritual separation. In fact, you see a spiritual reunion, basically, if I'm going to call it that. So there was no separation. If Jesus died a spiritual death, it means he will cease to be God for those moments. You know, some people who have the idea that, oh, the father looked away from Jesus. He could not bear the sin of the world on his son. Who told you that? Who told you that? Where did you get that ideology? It's, it's not in the scriptures. You just hear it from preachers and people who teach you those things. Maybe even in Sunday school that, ah, the father could not look at the son and he looked away. It's nowhere in scriptures. What you see is that it pleased the father to crush his son. It pleased the Father. Isaiah 53 tells us that he was bruised for iniquity and he pleased the Father to do it. God was pleased in sacrificing his son. So you best believe that that was not a sight to be... He was pleased by that sacrifice. By that sacrifice. Pardon me. Do you understand? Anyways, this verse tells us clearly, verse 22, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free of accusation. This is it. The forgiveness of sins. That's what forgiveness of sins implies. You see, the Bible doesn't talk about the spiritual, it talks about the blood, the body of Jesus. The blood, the body, the blood, the body. The Old Testament sacrifice has always been the same too. The, the blood of the lamb, you know, and the body being offered. Same way Jesus was offered for us. But you see, to what extent that through his death, he'll be able to present us without blame, perfect, holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. That is powerful. That is the extent to which his sacrifice paved for us. He's saying, now look, you are forgiven of all sins, cleared out of all debts. Praise the name of Jesus. Then verse 23. Let me read verse 23 in the KJV. It says... If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled. So, look, Paul has explained all these things. He has introduced Jesus to them, what Jesus did in all of creation and what he did for them as the new creation. Now he's saying, look, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and you are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard 
and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, right? Um, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. So Paul is saying, look, um, and this is very important. He says, um, this is available to you um, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled and being unmoved away from the hope of the gospel. Now, this is very important. And I mean, years back when I used to read Colossians, I never really settled on this, but it makes even more sense when I prayerfully studied this. A lot of people would ask questions about, um, what do you think about once saved, always saved? Right? What do you think about it? Once saved, always saved. Is that real? Is that a real concept? Is that true? What do you say about it? Um, and I know some of you have had those questions too. You've had those questions in your heart. Um, but this is a very powerful thing. A lot of people are careless to say, ah, uh-uh, of course, once saved, always saved. Eternal salvation. The Bible says it's eternal salvation. Ah, uh-uh, that he's able to keep you from falling. Ah, uh-uh, he's able to present you blameless. You know all this, you know all the scriptures. But do you know this one? That it says, if you continue in the faith. See, the perseverance of the saints is not just a one-off thing. It's not just, oh, I believed and that's the end. The proof, listen, listen carefully. The proof that you are actually saved is that you will continue in your faith. Are you listening? You know, uh, it was John that said, um, those who left the church proved that they were not of us. They were not of us in the first place. But look carefully, the proof that you are actually a believer is that you will continue in your faith. Alright, Paul is saying, see, if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and you are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard. So that's how you'll be presented blameless and without fault in his sight. But that's where this is accessible to you. It's not just a one-off thing that I believe in Jesus, that's the end. There is an initial point of salvation, but there is a place where your faith will stay. You know, you see instructions like in Hebrews 10.23, hold fast to the profession of your faith. That means your confession of faith, hold fast to it. Why are there instructions like that? Because it's not just a careless faith that, oh, I believe that's the end. I can live my life however I want. It doesn't matter to God. That is the wrong idea of grace. The idea that Paul brings here is you, you continue, you persevere in your faith. Ah, because there will be people that will try to snatch you. People will try to snatch you away from that. They will try to tempt you. The best believe that these false teachers, um, they, they don't have a spiritometer. They can't tell whether you are truly saved or not. So they will do whatever they can to just hope that you are not truly grounded and you are swifted and swept away. Do you understand? So that's very important to note, okay? Then verse 24, Paul says, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you? Uh, that Paul is saying, I rejoice in my sufferings for you guys and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. What he's simply saying is that, look, I'm my sufferings are an extension. They are an extension of Christ's sufferings. So even though Christ didn't suffer in this way, um, um, in the sense of uh, being imprisoned, because we don't see Jesus being imprisoned, you know, being imprisoned from going from one place to another. He's just saying, look, I'm, I'm feeling that place. I'm, I'm, think about it. Like, look, I'm enjoying my suffering for you because it's, it's worth, it's worth it. I'm suffering for you and I will not stop. 
Do you understand? He's not saying I'm extend like I'm I am fellowshipping in the sufferings of Christ. I identify with the sufferings of Christ. That's what he's saying here in this verse. Uh verse in verse twenty four. Now verse twenty five. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So according to the dispensation of God, he's made a minister. The dispensation he's talking about is this advent of grace. That when Jesus came, he brought grace and truth. He's saying, that's the dispensation I'm a minister of. I'm a minister of grace, right? Which is given unto me for you to fulfill the word of God. He said, even the mystery, he says, that is the mystery which had been hidden from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. So he's saying, this is the dispensation of revelation. Are you seeing that? In the previous verse, he said, I made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given unto me for you. He said, in the, in the, in, in the past, verse 25, it was a mystery. There was a mystery of God that was hidden from different people, then generations. But now, see that but, but now it is made manifest to his saints, right? Can we just quickly turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2? We're almost done with, wow, we're almost done. I'm surprised. I am surprised. I've not even gone halfway on the notes I wanted to read. But I'm glad I skipped all of that. Um, to keep the time. First Corinthians chapter two. Let's go there quickly. You know the scripture, I promise you. I want to explain what Paul is trying to, to say here, okay? Alright, alright. Uh, I hope we're all there. Romans, uh, first Corinthians chapter two from verse nine. I hope that, uh, I hope that's pretty clear. I hope it's uh, <laughs> all right. Fantastic. Um, all right. So uh, just right here. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm excited. Uh, it says, however, it is written, right? Um, let me read from. Let me read from the King James. Let me read from the King James. All right. It says. Sorry, something is wrong with my... Alright, it says... But as it is written, I have not seen, not, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for them that love him. And this has been used so many times to present this idea that, look, if you are thinking this, it has not even reached your mind what God will do for those that love him. It will bust your head. You are thinking of Toyota Camry. Ah! What God, what, what God wants for them that He loves, your, your mind has not come. Even Rolls Royce, it's far more than that. God wants, you know, your eyes have not seen these things. Your ear has not heard about it. All that God has planned for you. But you see, this is actually a quotation from Isaiah 64 verse 4, where He was saying, look, we are, literally, Isaiah was saying, look, we are blinded. We don't know what God is doing. We don't know what God's plan is for those that He loves. Like, no eye has seen it. No ear has heard this. It doesn't even come to our mind. We can't even conceive what God is doing. It was a mystery. This is what you call a mystery. They were in the dark. They didn't know what, what is God up to. Why is he leading us out of this to this promised land, doing these sacrifices? Like, we don't even know what he's up to, right? All we know is that there's some Messiah coming to save the day. That's all we know. We don't know anything about him. What is God up to? So look at verse 10. It now says, But... When, <laughs> when you see but, you need to stop and compare what was before and what comes after. But is a transition. It tells you, look, it was a particular way before, but this is how it is now. 
Say but. Yes, that's it. Don't scare anybody around. Just say it. Say it gently. But okay, let's let's do that. But God has revealed them to us by His ah. Wow. So these things that were hidden before in the past, in ages past, like Paul was just saying, that it was hidden in generations before. They didn't know what God was planning. But now, they have been revealed to us by His Spirit. Hallelujah. I belong to the dispensation of revelation. That's where we are now. We are in the dispensation of revelation. Where all that is hidden has now been revealed in His Son. Glory to Jesus. Not only the plan of God. But the character of God was also revealed in his son. Don't you see that? That's why the Bible said he was the, he's the image of the invisible God. He didn't just reveal God's plan and, 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 and desires. He revealed the character of God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So that just, by the way, I just wanted you to see that, that it was a mystery in the past. You know, people didn't know what God was up to. But we see now that the Spirit has revealed them to us. And Paul, by the Spirit, is doing the same thing in revealing these things to us. As we are reading what he's saying, we are coming to that revelation. That was the point of his letter. These guys needed to know that, look, salvation plan is now, is now open to them. God's salvation plan, God's will in salvation is clearly seen now. It's no longer a mystery, okay? So... We'll read verse 26 again. Even the mystery which had been hidden from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. It's become obvious. It's become revealed. It's become effectual to his saints. We now, not only have we seen it with our eyes, we have experienced it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Our ears have heard of the gospel. Our eyes have seen it. Our hands have handled. Praise the name of Jesus. Verse 27 to whom, talking about his saints, right? He's talking about us, the saints. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, Paul is saying something that, look, the mystery of his will was not just for a select people called the Jews. God's ultimate plan from the beginning has always been clear. He told Abraham from the start, and this was the first announcement of the gospel by God to Abraham, saying that, look, through you, through you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And most specifically, through Abraham's seed, that is Christ. Galatians 3 explains all of this. If you're doing a study of Galatians, I would have gone in depth into that. We should do that sometime. It's such a powerful book. But he said, look, through you, all nations of the earth, not just the Jews, but other nations will be blessed. And that is the mystery being revealed now that look, even the Colossians who are not Jewish by nature, who are regarded, regarded as Gentiles, they, they might experience the riches of his glory. Hallelujah. That God will make the riches of his glory, uh, of this mystery of salvation. He will make it manifest to them. And this is the mystery revealed. Christ is in you. And that alone results in the hope of glory. Because Christ is in you. There is a hope to, be, to glory in. Hallelujah. There is a blessed hope. 
So he's saying, look, this is the riches of God towards you. It's not in money. It's not in possession. It's in his grace to you, in the hope he gives to you, the inheritance of the saints, that you can now be a partaker Oh, of the inheritance of the saints. Praise the name of Jesus. That because you were alienated once, you were, you are far off. We'll see that in chapter two. You were separated from the commonwealth of Israel. But now, now we, even us as Nigerians, we are regarded as Gentiles, but not anymore. To God, we are the, we are the spiritual Jews. We are the chosen people, the children of Abraham by faith. Hallelujah. I hope I'm not saying too much at the same time, but it's just so powerful. It's just so beautiful to, to just wrap your head around that Christ in you, the hope of glory. Ah, glory to God. Christ in us, the hope of glory. There is a glory that is coming. There is a glory. You know, I've talked about the stage of, stages of salvation, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Glorification is the stage of salvation where we receive the full package that was reserved for us in heaven, that faded not away, where we received spiritual bodies, bodies that will not decay, decay glorified bodies. They will, that, at, at that day, we will see him and in the twinkling of an eye will be changed. We will receive the fullness of our inheritance inheritance the glory so because of christ who is in us we can hope in that glory hallelujah are you thankful for what god has done for you in christ that you were a stranger not only were you a stranger you were an enemy of god but god looked to you that while you are yet a sinner while you are yet a rebel while you are yet is an enemy of god he died for you he reunited you to himself he reconciled you to himself by the blood of Jesus and he gave you a hope. He gave you a hope that you, through that hope you can expect even bigger things. Expect an inheritance that awaits you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, glory to God. Brata sabuna akursta. Mbrektika viso no katana karate zumata denenemene kurusa. And as a result of this, there is no more fear. We have no fear of damnation because perfect love casts out all fear. We are assured that because Christ is in us, there is hope of glory. Hallelujah. Ah. Colossians, Colossians, powerful book. <laughs> Verse 28, we're almost done. Praise God. Whom we preach, talking about Jesus, right? This Jesus who is in you. You see how everything just flows, just flows from one verse to the other. See, the book of Colossians is not even hard to understand. It's not hard to understand. Um, so far, we've talked about our place in Christ. That's what we're still establishing, our place in Christ, right? Um, new creation realities. Uh, but as we go further in the book, we start to see new creation responsibilities, things that we are to do and apply ourselves to, right? So that we can walk in a manner pleasing unto God. So we're applying those things from a place of spiritual understanding. At the end of the day, spiritual understanding is what we've come to. We can understand the mysteries of God, the spiritual things, because it has been revealed to us now. Hallelujah. That's why I termed this teaching spiritual understanding. So you can see that everything at the end of the day is all about spiritual understanding. That's how we came into this. That's how we can know that Christ is in us and he's the hope of our glory. Hallelujah. So this Jesus who is in us, whom we preach, warning every man 
and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So Paul says that we are doing this, we are warning everyone through Jesus, right? Um, we preach him to everyone. We are warning. With the gospel's message, there is a warning. Do you understand? In growing believers and saints, there is always a warning. There are instructions. Do you understand? We, you present to people that look, there is a wrath to come. There is the wrath of God against sin coming. So we're warning everyone to repent and believe in this message. We're teaching them, um, every man in all wisdom. All wisdom here talks about the wisdom of God in the gospel. This wisdom that was hidden before, but now has been revealed. We're teaching them in this wisdom of God, right? That we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's the whole point. At the end of the day, we're not just presenting infants. We're not just presenting newborns. We are presenting mature, perfect men and women before Christ. Do you understand? Oh, glory to God. And the last verse, verse 29. Where also I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh mightily in me. That is powerful. He said, where unto I also. That means in this preaching, he says, I labor. I labor in this preaching, striving striving now when it comes to things of god you might hear phrases like labor striving struggling working they sound like hard work because when it comes to the message of the gospel you receive it without your works but to present it your works are involved <laughs> you literally have to labor so that people can receive this free gift like you received it praise the name of jesus but he said look i'm not just working by my efforts that's the difference when you come to Christ, it's not just by your works. He says, I also labor, striving according to who's working. He's working, which worketh in me. Just in case I didn't explain how much it works. It works in me mightily. That's the same strength with which he prayed, if I'm not mistaken, in the earlier verses where he said in verse 11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. That's what he's trying to say. Now look, you can be strengthened. And I, and I decree this for you right now in the name of Jesus that you receive strength in your body to do the things that he commands you to do. Like Paul said yes to the Lord and the workings of God worketh mightily in him. It will also work in you. The power of God will work in you that you will do all that the Lord has called you to do faithfully in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Have you been blessed by this teaching? Colossians 1 will forever remain in our hearts. We have seen Jesus highly lifted, exalted in all the heavens. We have seen Jesus in the, we have seen him as the expression of the Father. Hallelujah. We have seen how his blood reconciled us to himself because we are once strangers, but now we are in here. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. And we thank him because now he is in us. He is the head of the body. And because he is the firstborn from the dead, because he was raised to life, we also have a hope of that same glory. Hallelujah. Glory to God. <laughs> glory. Glory to Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord. I want you to just turn this into prayer right now and just appreciate him. Pray in tongues. The Bible says the one who prays in tongues gives thanks well. I want you to just blow and explode with thanksgiving for all that God has done for you in Christ, for how the mystery of his plan has now been revealed to you, that you can see it face to face because you stand in the dispensation of the grace of God, in the dispensation of revelation. Brakuta zanaka, brutina gavana. Glory to the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. We're going to pray this before we close. I want you to pray the same prayer that Paul prayed in verse 9. He said, He said, For this cause, since the day we heard of your love, uh, we do not cease to pray for you. First of all, I want you to pray. For this ministry. Before we pray verse 10. Pray for this ministry. And everyone that is a part of it in some way. That Lord in the name of Jesus. We grow in our faith. You know Paul said. You know. Uh, pardon me. He, he talked about it in verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And the love which you have for all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Faith, hope. And love. We're going to pray that Lord, every member, myself including, of this ministry, we grow in our faith. We are grounded and settled in our faith. We grow in love for one another, even more and more. We grow in love for one another in the name of Jesus. We grow in love in, in more and more. We grow more and more in love with one another in the name of Jesus. And we hold our hope steadfast. We, we steadfastly Cling to the hope that we have in you, in the name of Jesus. Come on, begin to pray this for yourself, for the ministry at large. That in the name of Jesus, we grow in our faith. We grow in our love. Oh, glory to God. We grow in our hope. We hold fast to our hope. Because the hope that we have will be an anchor to us. An anchor for us. In the name of Jesus, we grow. We grow in faith, love and hope in the name of Jesus till you return we will be found growing in our faith love and our hope in the name of Jesus for ages and ages to come and all those who will become a part of this family because of us they would also grow in faith love and hope in the name of Jesus that all saints even across the world we grow in faith love and hope Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Now I want us to pray this before we close. Paul prays this that he said in verse 9. He said he desires that we might be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That we might walk worthy. Remember, when you, 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 you are filled with the knowledge of his will, play rude with the knowledge of, the, of his will, you begin to walk in a way that is worthy of him. Right? You walk worthy of the Lord 
pleasing him all the way. You become fruitful unto every work. You start to see results in your life and in all the things you set your hands to do. And then you keep increasing in the knowledge of God and you are strengthened with his might. So I want you to pray this fourfold prayer. That Lord, as I grow in wisdom and spiritual understanding, I continue to walk in a manner pleasing to you. Lord, I grow in spiritual understanding and wisdom. I am filled with the knowledge of your will. And so I walk in, in, in I walk in a manner that is worthy of you, pleasing you all the way. Lord, I am fruitful unto every good work. And I increase in my knowledge of you. Be strengthened. Being strengthened with all might according to your glorious power. Come on, begin to pray that prayer now. Begin to pray, Lord, I grow to know your will for my life. Help me, Lord. I know your will more and more. Help me, Lord. I want to to be filled with the knowledge of your will. Fill me with the knowledge of your will, with spiritual understanding and wisdom. Lord, so that I can walk in a way that pleases you. So that, Lord, I can I can be fruitful unto every good work and keep increasing in my knowledge. Keep increasing in my knowledge of you. In the name of Jesus, I grow to know your will. I grow to know your will more and more, more and more, more and more. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we are strengthened. We are strengthened. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. Precious Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you for an awesome time in your word. It's it's unconventional sometimes to just take a book and study, but it's beautiful to do so. It's beautiful to just dwell in your word, your will for us through your apostle Paul in this letter. Thank you, Lord, because we see your intentionality towards us. Lord, I pray for everyone listening that there is strength. There is strength for them. They are strengthened with all might, according to your glorious power, in all patience and long-suffering, with joy. There is joy all the way, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for these ones that as they grow to know what you want for them, Lord, they will apply their hearts in wisdom. They will be able to do things and they will, they will please you in everything they do. They will be fruitful in the name of Jesus and they will, they will increase even more. They will grow even more in your will. Lord, I pray for everyone. The Lord we will not lose sight of what's, what matters. Jesus remains at the center of it all. Jesus remains at the center of it all. You are our life, Jesus. You are our source. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you. We bless your name, Lord. We bless you because you have, you have blessed us with all spiritual blessings. You speak well of us. You speak well of us in your Son. You have said that we are forgiven. We are accepted. We are reconciled back to you. And that's enough. We love you, Jesus. Thank you because you translated us from your kingdom of from, 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 from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear son. You, you, you took us from the powers of darkness into the power of Christ. And for that we are grateful. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. What an awesome time we've had. What an awesome time we've had. It's beautiful. Um, before, before we, uh, call it a night. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it 
and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.